Okay, welcome to the show. Today, our guest is Mark McKeever. He's an entrepreneur, advisor, and investor at McKeever Advisory. He's also a venture partner with Flagstaff Ventures. Uh, he and I met back when he was at Microwage, where he was the former COO and co-owner. Mark, thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure to be here. Good to see you. So, Mark, for those of our audience who don't know, can you tell us a little bit about Microwage, where, where you and I uh, first crossed paths? Well, sure. So um, I originally joined MicroAge in the early 90s, uh, a couple of years after college. And at that time, it was a billion dollar organization, soon to become a Fortune 500 company and growing at a very fast clip, 40, 50 percent a year. It was uh, selling what I'd refer to as traditional IT, desktop related products, data center related products. Um, it had a lot of dimension to it, but distribution and sales to large accounts and uh, a franchise locate, uh, franchise network throughout the United States and actually throughout the world. Um, when the industry collapsed on the, the backs of Y2K, a lot of people got wiped out. That incarnation of MicroAge also failed, uh, but we soldiered on. We you know, took the name and relaunched it with a, a new, more focused business model. And, you know, went to a million in sales, to 10 million, to 100 million. Um, and it was a great ride for a long time. And uh, uh, I sold my stake in it a, a little while back and decided to look at some new things. Very cool. So, you know, we're in the business of sales incentive programs, contests, marketing to salespeople. And I know you have a lot of experience and lessons learned from running uh you know incentive programs or contests at microage can you tell us about one of your favorites sure well i, I do want to point out that i started in sales and so i had some experience being on the other side of it um in terms of what i saw uh like a simple example you know in the early 90s uh as a large organization there was a dizzying array of incentives I just saw it all. I got to the point where I would just throw most of them away and pick a few and put them on the wall. Like these are ones I can do something with because it was so much. Um, but uh, in, in our organization, uh, we'd constantly have partners such as, you know, Cisco, HP, Compaq, uh, Dell, uh, among many, many, many others, you know, looking to put marketing funds into sales incentives. And we certainly wanted to honor that and help them with their mission. But then also, make sure it worked well for our organization and didn't cut against, you know, our corporate culture because aligning those incentives with your corporate culture to me is an important part of management, making sure that you, you know, have everybody on the same page. Absolutely. And those partnerships and alliances are something we run into all the time in the IT world. Uh, before we dive into how to create that alignment, when you were in the situation of having, you know, being totally inundated with different programs and incentives, how did you pick and choose which to do? Well, as a, as an individual con contributor, um, you know, they'd be, you know, I mean, I w this was even before we'd really get them an email, like you'd get them in your box and you'd look at it. And I would just look at it. Is this a brand that I make a market in? If it's not, it goes right in the trash. I don't have, I don't want to give that to, uh, you know, I don't want to, have that in my mind, I'm not going to have any you know, impact on it. But, you know, when it was something that I could, you know, make a market in, I just tacked it up on the wall for reference. I never felt I wanted to even have more than three or four in my mind at one time. Sometimes you get paid on stuff for incentives you didn't even know, you weren't thinking about it, which I didn't think was very, um, from, 
from my perspective, that didn't seem very effective. They weren't really incenting anything. Uh, and then, you know, I just try to make a difference where I can, what it made an economic difference to me. And of course, that's what the partner wanted. They wanted to, you know, move a particular line of products and uh, encourage me to do so. Although that did actually create the first in, uh, alignment issue. Um, and this was an important one on my mind that influenced when we restarted the company and I was designing a compensation plan. In the 90s, our margins are relatively low. And sometimes you'd see spiffs. That's kind of a form of incentive. Um, you know, $25 per unit, $50 a unit, $100 a unit, whatever, whatever it was. Monitors, printers, computers. They, they, you'd be amazed at the a range of spiffs that could be, you know, be divined. But sometimes I could discount the product, basically vacating the margin for the company, and then I would get something in the back end. And that was not a win-win-win. You know, maybe the partner thought it was a win and maybe I thought it was a win, but my company lost. And, you know, how can I really win if my company's losing? So uh, when we restarted the business in 2001, we just baked in any of those incentives into the commission plan. So the idea would be the company would collect on behalf of the salesperson and they would get the economic benefits split with the company. So if they felt they had to discount, that's fine. Go ahead and discount. But let's just stay on the same page. So the SPIF would replace that lost margin if they did in fact discount. Yeah, if they didn't have to discount, that's great too. That's a great example. And we've heard about that a lot in uh, the channel world, especially with resellers, exactly as you described. The, the interests just aren't aligned. And so there's a lot of friction. Uh, and really, it sounds like all it took on your part uh, was you know, reconceptualizing, redesigning how it works. So it does work for everyone and uh, everybody's still getting what they want. Yeah. I mean, you know, I won't say that every salesperson liked that, but in my view, I want to win for the salesperson and I want to win for the company. And whenever either party's losing, you know, sometimes companies take advantage of their people and it's a lose for them. Well, that's not good, but I don't want to be losing either. And then you also had, you know, cases where the price is golf club. So I can't really split that and put that through the, <laughs> the compensation plan. So we, we, we just simply had a process by which at least we were aware of it and we agreed to it. So sometimes, hey, they'd get the golf clubs or, you know, whatever the prize was, you know, kitchen appliance or something like that. We just, fine. It's not worth trying to cut these things in half, just send them on their way. But as we got larger, you know, we, we certainly made more of a, um, an effort to say to the partner, listen, we really only want cash incentives. And that more or less worked. Sometimes they had national programs where you know, it didn't matter what we wanted. They, you know, had a thousand resellers there trying to put a program through and they're going to give away a car or something like that. We're not going to affect that. I don't know that anyone ever want a car either, but, um, or, or trips. Sometimes the incentive is a trip. Okay. Well, they're represent now the salesperson's representing us. And so that's, that's, that can still be a win. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny you're talking about in the past, but we recently ran a contest where one of the requirements was physical prizes in addition to, you know, cash or gift cards and the air fryers were flying off the shelf as one of the choices. So kitchen appliances still a hot item, uh, 20 or 30 years later. Yeah. My wife wants an air fryer right now, actually. Well, I'll invite her to this uh, incentive program. Maybe she can yeah. make a few sales. <laughs> sure. You never know. I mean, it is an incentive. 
So when you were, uh, you know, working with these partners to create these programs or developing your own programs, you know, what were some of the things you learned along the way? Uh, what were some problems you ran into as you uh, started digging into these issues? You know, once let's say you're aligned with the partner, so it's a win for you, it's a win for the salesperson. What were some other things that came up uh, in your journey of, of learning about these programs? Sure. Well, you know, one of them was a corporate culture issue over sort of everybody being having the same mission, everybody having the same objectives to serve our customers and sell. And, you know, our organizations, uh, since we were selling technology, were very sales forward, a lot of sales staff. In fact, we, we wanted to keep, you know, control over expense on non-sales organization because, you know, that's where the profitability is. If you have too big of an organization serving your salespeople, it, it, you know, can get inefficient and expensive and the like. So, um, you, you know, the original experience that I had that got me thinking about that was when I was in sales in the nineties and a partner would want to come along and buy lunch for the sales team. And that's great. We had a lot of lunches. I mean, sometimes it seemed like we had a lunch a week at various points. Um, but, uh, when that started, uh, it was only for salespeople. And, you know, it, you know, when you're serving your customers, it's a team effort. There's people in credit, there's people in order processing, there's people in business development, there's marketing people. And it always rubbed me a little wrong that I was getting a free lunch and they weren't because all of our efforts were to serve the customer and to be a good, you know, a, a good reseller for our partner. So, you know, once that kind of became something that I had an influence over, uh, we just always tell our partners, it's great. We, we do this for a company-wide lunch. And so that everybody in the organization, didn't matter who it was, someone in HR, the receptionist, whoever, everybody gets to eat together. Everybody gets to, you know, have that esprit de corps. Um, everybody gets to participate. And then you don't have the animosity that can, can rise, you know, or the, you know, the egalitarian issues. And so that was really important to me. Um, and, you know, we extended that into some of our contests too. So, um, you know, as we were, I kind of liked designing our programs and then present them to the partners as a menu of options, because that allowed us to have best practices, avoid things that we didn't like, bring in things that we did like. I love the idea of including everybody. Um, and I think it's a really important thing to call out. And I would make the bet that we're going to see a lot more of it moving forward all the way to place, you know, all the way to areas like sales compensation in terms of, um, uh, you know, getting commissioned, that sort of thing, because there's always two sides of the coin. They can sell it, but if the customer churns instantly, it doesn't really matter for, for the company. Um, and the quality of the product, the design of the product and the value of the product, uh, provides, you know, is, is an essential piece, especially in the SaaS world of the value of the company and divide designers, developers, customer success folks, uh, you know, really great leaders that are coordinating the efforts between these teams. They're not getting commission on a churn rate usually. Uh, so why should a salesperson or an account manager get commission for bringing in new dollars when the, you know, the, the vast, uh, the, the, the most of the value that's being generated by the company is by, you know, the the subscription the subscription and recurring aspect of the business so it sounds like you're ahead of your time and in including everyone and I think it's interesting because um, it's one of those things where it the 
just doing it, the statement uh, of saying, hey, everybody's included and everyone contributes is so powerful. It doesn't really come down to, um, you know, any increased uh, cost. It's the statement uh, and saying aloud kind of how things work, I think is really powerful. And it's really important to people to, to be aligned. So I think it's really cool you did that. When you're talking about creating different contests uh, and, and having a menu of options, what were some of the what were some of the options you came up with? What what were some of your most successful contests, prizes, themes, those sorts of things? Well, some of the things that came up were related to what I thought as an individual contributor, which is if you hit me with an endless array of this stuff, it's just noise. And I don't want the partner that's funding it to experience noise. Now, I can't affect their national programs, but to the extent they want to do something that's a one-off with us and they have the funding to do so, I don't want it to be noise. I, I, I want it to work. You know, they're trying to get their sales from X to 2X or, you know, whatever the multiple is. And so I, I want it to work for them. So I don't want noise. Um, I learned to ask for a minimum and our minimums aren't high, but, you know, I just said, you know, if you're not going to put, you know, I think even our number is like as low as $5,000. Like if you're not going to put $5,000 and it's definitely going to get paid out, I don't want to do it. I can't control the result, but I can control the design. Um, and so that was a limiter. So smaller partners wouldn't uh, get in the way of larger partners because there's more of them, you know, trying to do their contests. Uh, they, they had to you know, pay to do this. And um, I often liked more defined prizes so, you know, salespeople already paid in cash. Everyone's paid in cash. I, I actually tended to prefer things over time that were more experiential. Um, obviously, physicals can be good too, you know, like the golf clubs, so to speak. But not everybody wants golf clubs either. So, you know, sometimes our prizes were, you know, high-end dinners that nobody would, well, few people would go do on their own, like a private room at the sanctuary or something like that. You know, that dinner might be, you know, seven grand. And it would be a, an eye-opening experience. I also was very partial to Super Bowl tickets. Like, not a lot of people get to go to the Super Bowl ticket. Uh, not a lot of people get to the Super Bowl. And it's a great experience. So, you know, if you had a way to um, acquire uh, entries into a drawing, which now you can find paths for people in IT or marketing or HR or whatever, um, you know, whatever the process is, then everyone's got a chance at it. Um, and, you know, give them away in pairs so people can bring a guest. Um, so we don't get into that. They, spouse, father, you know, best friend, whatever, you know. And, um, you know, eye-opening, you could run a contest like that for 90 days. And everybody, if you will, they like football, was excited about it, right? Um, and then also, well, there was actually another really important part of that. Uh, I saw a lot of contests like top three salespeople contests in the 90s. But when you have a sales staff of hundreds of people, like you're not addressing the whole audience. If it's your top three people or top five or top 10 or whatever, and it's a tiny little sliver, there's so few people because, you know, uh, that can that can win because they may already have a big book of business selling IBM or HP. And the new people, they're never going to compete with that. So they're just going to, they're just going to tune it out. They have no chance. Um, and so if you really want to hit the whole organization with the, uh, you know, the branding, the effort to sell something, then I'd even like to see a new salesperson get a, you know, an entry for, you know, selling the product, you know, to an account. 
So, you know, you, you can still wait things if you want more entries for uh, bigger performances, but I mean, you know, just you get an entry for every account that buys it right there, you know, top salespeople may have more accounts, but they don't have this overwhelming volume advantage that just eliminates the rest of the field. And I think that's very good for the partner. They're trying to incent everybody in the sales organization. They, they, they're, we, we all often wanted training around the products that were up front, you know, with the incentives so that people are trained on it. And then you announce it, you know, the training might be in the first month or something like that or the first few weeks. But, you know, we wanted to be effective that way and hit everybody that we could. You're hitting on some really important things, Mark. I love that you uh, brought these up because they're where we started and what showed us there was a ton of opportunity uh, in this world is that, like you said, if the same three people or 10 people or even 100 people at a huge company are always at the top, then why does anybody who's in the middle of the pack care? And that's why they get super low uh, engagement rates of, you know, five to 10%. And so as you described, we found that if you combine some aspect of being rewarded for performance, as well as some aspect of, of chance uh, or, or luck, uh, you really hit on uh, a fun, uh, engaging uh, program where everybody can participate. Everyone needs to feel like they can win. And you can do that. Uh, it, it depends on the scale and depends on your budget, but you can design your prize distribution. So everyone has the feeling that they have a chance to win and that's where they start to participate. And uh, I'm going to do a shameless plug for our new poker game uh, because it's exactly how it works. And I know you're a poker player, Mark, yeah, but so in this, in our game, you can set one to five goals to, to get earned cards for a poker hand. And the more, uh, the more of these activities you achieve, so it could be sell a product, could be take a training, any of those things, the more of these goals you achieve over the timeline of the contest, you get dealt a random card. Um, and it's a little bit funky game, right? Because you can have a one card poker hand. Uh, so the more activities you do, you have better odds of, of building a good poker hand uh, and winning you know, some of the prizes. But uh, someone who just does two you know, could have a pair of pocket aces while someone who got all five cards is stuck with a two seven, you know, something bad. So we're, we're experimenting a lot of things over here, but those, those dynamics and under taking a step back and understanding, Hey, we're not trying to boost the top 10% uh, of people to, per, you know, perform 20% better. We're trying to to 60, 80% of our, uh, of our sales force to all perform 10 to 20% better. And the, the results are just astounding when you can manage to get everybody involved or almost everybody involved and you're not moving the needle on the top performers who are already probably maxing out uh, in top performance. You know, you're moving the needle on people who actually have room to improve and grow. And uh, once you get them involved with a, with a program that's going to incentivize activities that help them grow and learn and do their jobs better, then uh, there's so much opportunity to, to dive in. So how many years did you guys do the Super Bowl tickets? You know, we tended to do it when it was local. And I also think we did Fiesta Bowl tickets once because you got into some complications with the travel. Um, yeah, you know, and it was, a, it, was a, it was a big number. You know, we'd have to source the tickets and the like. Um, it wasn't a big national program. We were just doing it for our organization. So, you know, but when we could do it, it was great. Whereas like a dinner, you can do it anytime. There's restaurants available all the time. 
I may not remember all the, the kinds of things that we did, but um, I think we actually did the national championship game for basketball once too. Um, but the idea once again was a big experiential thing within, you know, what was affordable to us that was an attention getter. And I actually want to comment on what you just said about getting people involved. If a, even if it's a lucrative contest and it's only going to be the top sellers, you've lost most of the organization. If everybody can participate, then think about new salespeople coming into the organization. They see that it's possible and they may pay a lot more attention to product training. So they may, make, they may get to know the product a little bit better because they didn't tune it out because they couldn't you know, play. And the partner, even if they don't get a drawing in it, won some mind share that they wanted. Right. And that may not be true for support staff, but, you know, support staff's trying to do a good job. And if, you know, whatever the metric is for them to, to, to participate, you know, I just think it moves everybody in the same direction and the right direction. Absolutely. Uh, and the most powerful thing you can do is have your people talking to each other about what you're trying, uh, to, you know, to promote at your, at your organization, you can do top down as much as you want and great leaders will do top down, uh, you know, really well, they can foster a lot of engagement and set a lot of direction. But the most powerful thing is if you and I, Mark are in a contest together and you're getting, you just got another entry and you're like, I don't know, man, I got 10 entries. You only got four, you know, and, and we can rib on each other. And we're talking about these things, uh, you know, on our own on our own time, on our own schedule, that's going to be the most powerful thing for any mindshare uh, or any initiative you're trying to produce. And so designing programs to create, you know, a healthy tension or healthy level of interest between the participants uh, is just the most powerful thing. Um, and I, and I want to go back to the experience stuff because that's, that's what we've seen too. A mix of, a mix of prizes is really good. Um, some people like choice, some people, uh, you know, want fewer choices, but the one thing you said that I want to make sure we take away is things people wouldn't normally buy for themselves. We all have a list of things that we would really enjoy, but we have some mental blocks or personality traits that are going to forbid us from ever experiencing those things or having those items. And if you can kind of put a finger on the pulse and provide some options that are things people will love that they wouldn't necessarily get for themselves, um, whether they can or can't get it for themselves, they wouldn't get it for themselves. That's really powerful. You know, on the lower end, uh, at sales organizations like Yelp, you know, the most popular kind of prize items are things like $1 scratchers or $5 scratchers, you know, not everybody's going to Circle K to buy a lottery ticket, but if you hand me one, I'm going to scratch it off and have fun. Right. Uh, and those, again, that's a very small, uh, very small experience can't be compared to, a, a, you know, a really high end dinner or the Super Bowl, but it's something you can replicate. Uh, easily and often and add just that little bit of excitement, you know, hand someone a $1 bill, who cares? Hand someone a $1 scratcher and there's uh, 45 seconds of interest as well as heads craning over the, the, the cubicle wall to see if you're going to win. So that's creating that experience and that interest. You know, it, it actually brings up an interesting side story that most people have never heard of or thought of, but have you ever seen, um, companies where a bunch of employees get together and they go in on the, you know, the Powerball or whatever to win a hundred million or whatever. Well, if they're all pooling 
and they win, you can have a situation, this has happened to companies where 50 people just, you know, hit off of a ticket they pulled together. And that puts some of them in the position of quitting. You know, they can pay off their mortgage, they can retire or whatever. So companies have actually been harmed by allowing their employees to pool into those things. Uh, we actually had it happen in maybe the 80s. It was an example, maybe the best example of a lot of people pooling, but you know, they won the lottery, they left. You know, they just walked out the door the next day. And you know, anybody would if you won, you know, whatever, $5 million, right? And these are things that people don't think of. Um, and that's kind of a, an edge case example, but even when designing this stuff, we try to pay attention, you know, was there some unintended consequence of what we did? You know, and just try to avoid it, try to keep it elegant, keep it, you know, working well in the right direction and not have it blow up in your face. You're trying to do something good, you know. So so we actually uh, we forbid people to pool together uh, on uh, for lottery tickets and, and, and for for the best interest of everybody, because even the people that don't participate in it, if the company takes a hit by losing people because they you know got kind of got rich instantaneously, it's a problem for everybody. It's it not a win-win. No, and that's one of those things that you wouldn't think about unless you'd actually unless you'd actually experienced it and been bit by it. It's really yeah. interesting. You, you literally have to see it to 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 to, to appreciate it. Are there any uh, any other unintended consequences, maybe with lower stakes, you know, related to these programs? Where can you remember a program where it's like, oh man, we didn't see that coming, and we're not going to do that again? Any lessons to learn there or share? Well, I'm sure our marketing department uh, at the time could have thought of many of them. I remember a comical one that we we did this one incentive, and there were you know drawings to get in, but we'd really been too um, liberal in it. So you see that the marketing team printing out page after page after page of entries, and then you know cutting them all up, you know where it became like an administrative hassle to you know handle the, the sheer volume of entries. <laughs> You know, and, you know, once I saw that, I'm like, okay, well, let's try to like, let's try to make it reasonable, you know, you know, Goldilocks, not too many, not too few. Um, that's a, a simple example of it. Uh, um, it might take me a little while to think of other examples. Sure. One thing I wanted to ask you about, um, because it's something that we have a hard time coaching our enterprise customers on uh is timelines of contests obviously the goals you're trying to achieve the products you're trying to move the needle on will will change uh a lot of how you look at things but what did you find in terms of like the you know the time period that a contest or a program is run was there sort of a sweet spot that goldilocks you're talking about not too much not too little so i certainly had my preferences my preferences were a bigger contest is better than a smaller contest. And one of the questions I would, you know, ask myself is, well, what's the sales cycle here? I mean, if you run a contest for a month, but the sales cycle is a month, then how do you really, how do you have a behavior change? You announce it on the first of the month, but it's going to take a month to sell it. The contest will be over. That's kind of a lose for the salespeople that might want to win the prize. So, you know, I had a, a preference for maybe 90 days. And if we're going to do bigger ones, it'd be nice to be running three at a three, three contests at a time staggered. You know, you begin one, you begin one in January, it goes through March. You begin one in February, it goes through April. And if you're just trying to 
get all that stuff sort of in concert with each other. I like that sort of better. Now, there's nothing wrong with year-long contests. Uh, organizations may want to do that. Um, they're a little more sophisticated, but you can certainly do those kinds of things too. And maybe they coincide with, you know, whatever kind of annual awards, you know, incentives, rewards, awards, they're all they're all in the same bailiwick. And, and the more you can get everything in concert with each other. Um, so even with, you know, even with, you know, annual awards, you know, we certainly recognize top sellers, but there are other ways that other people that didn't qualify that by that criteria could get qualified. You know, maybe it's management discretion, maybe it's some other, you know, uh, criteria. Uh, but we want to make sure people get, you know, awarded, rewarded, incentivized. Um, but yeah, I just, I'd rather fewer. And by the way, if you are trying to make a show of it in an all hands meeting, well, you don't want three finishing on the same time. <laughs> you know, you want to stagger it so that you can actually run your meetings coherently, you know. Those are... Those are great takeaways. We see a lot of contests that are in that 90 day uh, period for, uh, you know, probably to accommodate those sales cycles, also to accommodate, uh, you know, the quarterly schedule that's popular at big enterprise companies. The, and oftentimes it's a great fit. Oftentimes it's not. Um, because if a, a piece of the goal is engagement and excitement, you have to keep in mind. Uh, how to keep people engaged during the time. So a year-long contest, you know, better have the elements that can keep someone interested at different points throughout the year. Uh, and so it's all about balancing those things. And I think my takeaway from what you shared is it, you can probably do it a lot of different ways, but whatever you do, you have to do it well. And it has to be something that you can produce at, uh, you know, a high quality version of. So, uh, I love the idea of staggering and, you know, honoring each of these contests, because like you said earlier, it's just noise. And that's not a problem of, uh, of the world in 1990. It's just as big a problem, uh, today with, uh, a lot of crappy contests and initiatives that are just noise. And what we really help our customers do is cut through the noise and create programs that have massive impact with a huge section of the people that they're trying to engage. So, and that all comes down to a quality experience, one that has been intentionally designed and executed to get people uh, excited over a period of time, keeping things top of mind, empowering them to do the, do the sales or the activities that um, they're being requested to do uh, so everybody can win like you described. You know, I just thought of something I hadn't thought of in a while, and it's an example of a very large contest with unintended consequences. So in the 90s, when the corporation was uh, pushing for $5 billion in sales, they announced a year-long contest called Drive for Five. And there was a Bond movie, uh, of which I forget the name of it, where a BMW uh, sports coupe was featured, Z1 or Z3, I forget what it's called, but it was a kind of a hot, you know, car uh, in the mid to late 90s. And so what the company did is procured several, I forget, four or five of these in red, because that was the company color. And they basically launched a year-long promo. And the one of the prizes was if you qualified into it, and I don't even remember their qualifications. Uh, you know, throughout the different divisions, you could basically get use of the car for a month. So, you know, you get a drive of this, you know, BMW. And of course, well, 
you have timing with, you know, when you get the car, sometimes people go, would get into accidents and the car would get off the road and stuff. So it was, you know, very well intentioned and it was, I'd say it's even a well, uh, it was a successful, um, attention getting, uh, you know, annual incentive, but you still have those mechanics that you may not think of, you know, when they designed it, you know, did they think about the insurance parts of it? Maybe they did, but you know, you still have the issue of, you know, people get an accident and, and now it comes up the works with, you know, how you're doing it. And sometimes you can only learn by doing it. Like if you want to do it again the next year, you try to figure the things out that went wrong. Um, it's good to take chances and stuff, but over time you should kind of figure out what works and doesn't work and then just bake that sort of uh, into it. And that's why I like to take control of the, the design and let partners fund it because, you know, we know us and, you know, we, we had a sense of what they wanted too, and we just try to get it all on the same page that way. Very cool. We gotta we gotta up our game with some BMWs, is what I'm hearing. Yeah, why not? <laughs> For, Ferrari, uh, a, a contest for a Ferrari. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll go talk to finance and see if an incentive pilot Ferrari is is on the is in the budget for this year. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'll actually tell you a catch with the um, Super Bowl tickets. So. Let's say a pair of Super Bowl tickets cost six grand, and you know at whatever point in time. It's, I'm sure they're more now. When you give that um, reward to the winning contestants, they you also have provided them a taxable event, and people have different tax brackets and the like, and so you can actually give something to somebody, and then they have you know some number of thousands of dollars they've got to pay for it. Well, I thought you're trying to give it away for them. So one of the things that we learned to do, um, you know, right or wrong is you would not only get the tickets, but you would get a cash payment of half the value of those tickets to cover the taxes, you know, sort of whether you have them or not. We didn't judge that. People have different brackets, as I said. But if you didn't do that, you created a headache, you know, maybe for the spouse or something like that. You know, we didn't think about that when that first happened, but once we were aware of the issue, we tried to come up with a decent solution to it. Um, you could even point out, and it's really a legal question, but if you give a reward, uh, if you give a very valuable award to somebody and it sits in a single pay period, there could be interrelationships with like bonuses and stuff like that. And it's been a while since I had to deal with that, but. If you're giving money to people, you need to talk to HR about compliance with, you know, wage laws, you know, maybe not minimum wage, but maybe bonuses and stuff. And, and I've seen some things that, you know, they're kind of head scratchers from a pragmatic standpoint, you know, how could this be a problem? But hey, the law is the law. Absolutely. And some of those unintended consequences, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, I'm, it's hard to imagine m many laws are written with uh, Super Bowl tickets, uh, as a sales contest in mind. So you're going to run into some issues and the tax is one of them. I'm glad you took care of your people. I don't know if it's true or not, but I remember uh, when Oprah gave away all those cars, there was uh, at least one story about how, you know, the, uh, it was a headache and a burden for some of the people that, that got the cars because the taxes weren't covered. And so they were, you know, winning a bill <laughs> and they probably they want a bill. Yeah. Yeah. And talk about, talk about a, Talk about a bad aftertaste after you've tried to do something fun and wonderful, right? Absolutely. 
it's the yeah you, you got to deal with those realities as a business person so 100 to come up with an elegant solution here's an unintended consequence that we've run into in the past physical prizes that you know go back ordered you when you start the when you start the contest all the prizes are available and ready to go when people start winning and choosing prizes they're out of stock and they're back ordered especially over the last few years with logistical supply chain issues so that sucks. That's a crappy experience. And one of the reasons we started this company is that we knew that so many of the people in this uh, space provide crappy experiences and we could do better. Um, what we learned is that people are really understanding as long as you show them you have their, their best interests at heart and you're communicating. Um, if someone is expecting their new air fryer next week and you can't get it there, well, you know, 99 out of 100 people are going to be just fine if you call them up and say, hey, we're so sorry. These are the other options you can choose that you can have next week. If you really want the air fryer, it's going to be, you know, 60 days and we'll follow up with you. Um, but just setting the right expectations and communication can alleviate so many of the unintended consequences or problems that come up. And a great rep experience or a great uh you know, just a great participant experience really comes down to setting expectations and exceeding them um, more than any of the details of any of these contests in our experience. Yeah, I can, I can see that. And there's a lot of ways you could tackle that. You could give people a cash out option. So they, you know, here's the cash, go figure out your own air fryer or just pocket the money. Um, I did tend to like to have stuff on hand before I had the contest. I, you know, I seem to recall the first time we did Super Bowl tickets, I, I had to acquire them after we announced the contest. They're a little more expensive than I thought. And then you also have to deal with like, how good are the tickets? Are they up in the nosebleeds? You know, where are they? You know, I mean, if you buy nosebleed Super Bowl tickets, you know, people may not think that's quite as special as being, you know, uh, on the lower level or something like that. Um, yeah, most people I think will be cool just to, to go to the event, but it is a, those are little things that, you know, kind of come up over time. Absolutely. Well, Mark, are there any other stories or thoughts that are popping in your head when it comes to contests, either with partners or on your own? Uh, any other lessons that you think our listeners could, could learn in running these sorts of programs? Well, I'm a fan of doing things you know, in a planned measured fashion. So you get the good outcome. I see a lot of people in business, they're just, they're too quick to tackle things. And then, then they get surprised with stuff. And I've just never liked that. And as I gain more experience, I, I, I try to really plan it a little bit better. Um, I also really like taking control of things that are important to you. You know, my experience was when we let our partners run amok with their contests, we had the headaches you know, we saved time because we let them figure it out, but they'd often do things that surprise us and the like. So, um, you know, if incentives are important to you, put some time into it, especially big, you know, big programs. And, um, you know, th there's a lot of ways to do it just because I like to do things a certain way. doesn't mean other people won't want to do it a certain way, but you can get everybody on the same page and don't ignore your corporate culture, you know, it's just terrible to have, to try to do something, have it backfire in your, in your culture. It's just not, it's not good stewardship. 
no, and it's not worth it at the end of the day. So I think you're, you're speaking my language in terms of quality and intentionality. And the beautiful part about that is that once you do find what works, it becomes even easier and quicker to do things of quality. So it may seem like a, a lot of time investment upfront to figure this stuff out. But once you know what works, you can kind of layer things in different ways and create interesting programs based on what you know works. Yeah, well, if you're trying to grow a business, you need to find ways to make things systemic so they can scale. If you're just doing everything as a one-off, you don't get those economies of scale. So if it's important, put in the time. Um, and I will go back to something that you said that I was I was never you know, particularly good at it. I was always interested in it and I didn't spend a lot of time with it, but gamification. I mean, I think gamification is really interesting and once in a while you see something that's done you know, well. Um, like, I really admire that. Once again, I don't know that I've been really good at gamification, maybe in certain kinds of ways, but not, not in terms of incentives and the like. Yeah, I think, uh, I think the, it's interesting. Um, it's both more complicated and simpler than, than people make it. Um, I think if you're overthinking it, you're probably going to get a goof and uh, just adding a little game to something you do it again can add that layer where people are interacting with each other about something that's not work. And if it's just work adjacent or initiative adjacent, then people are talking about things on their own. Um, games provide that space uh, for people to connect about something that they wanna connect about and it's not top down. You know, I think if there's one rule, if you're gonna gamify things is that it, you better be having fun with it, right? Is that uh, if you're not having fun, no one's going to have fun. And so uh, that's kind of the, the the finger to keep on the pulse with gamification is if you're excited about it, it's fun for you. And in, uh, it's most likely going to be fun for your team. If you're trying to force people to have fun, that's not going to work. <laughs> Just one of those things. Well, you know, we, we've, we've found ourselves in that situation before where we, think something will be good and fun and it, it just doesn't work. So, you know, try to accept that reality and try to do something different next time. You, you can never please all the people. Definitely not. Um, I think I was even listening to your podcast uh, the other day and some people don't want recognition at all. They don't want to participate at all. They, they may be the minority, but hey, you have a big enough organization. You're, there's nothing you can do. They just want to come to work and go home. Absolutely. Absolutely. A certain section of, uh, especially big companies, um, you know, even if that's just 10 or 20% of people, uh, if you have 45,000 <laughs> salespeople, like some of these enterprises do, that's a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So Mark, are you ready to, uh, share your screen and show us how you can tap your tap to flap to the top of the leaderboard? I don't think I'll ever be ready for this. Well, Let's then see. you're in the same uh, boat as everybody else who's been, kind enough to come on the show and try it out. So as you saw during your brief practice period, you can uh, click to play as soon as you get a game over. You can just start again by clicking again and it will automatically record your highest score. So I'm gonna let you go for a minute. And if you happen to be on a good run at the end of the minute, I'm just gonna let you keep flapping and, until you get a game over. So when you're ready, you can, uh, uh, if you would refresh the page, so we're starting with a high score of zero and then, um, and then when you click, I'll start the timer. All right. That's how most of us start. 
right. This this is. Uh, you sure we can't play poker? <laughs> well, we do have a fun uh, LinkedIn poker challenge coming up on May second. Uh, if you're curious to see how the game works, um, there's going to be a little challenge to post each day, and you can earn a card for what you post. And we're really excited to to get feedback from the LinkedIn community about that. I'm going to classify this game as a first-person shooter, and I don't do well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Just categorize it however it makes sense to your narrative. But you got a three. That's not bad. Oh, you're going now for 15 seconds. This is, this is all pure. To, to get two in a row is pure luck for me. Then you're a really lucky guy. I'd rather draw for a straight or a flush. <laughs> All right, that does it for the minute. Let's see here. What can you do? High score of four. Thanks, Mark. That gets you onto the leaderboard. Definitely not the worst or lowest score. Well, if I can get one entry for for you know getting one bird through the pipes or whatever, then I'll I'll feel like I'm participating. Sounds now good. Now I have a vested interest in the outcome. Well, we're going to introduce a new game in the next season of this show. We're also going to think about how uh, you guys could be rewarded. It was all a little experiment to see uh, how it'd be received, but thanks for being a good sport. Mark, if people want to get in touch with you, can you tell us a little bit about what you got going on these days and, and what's the best way to get in touch? Yeah, well, LinkedIn's an easy way to get in touch with me. I monitor my uh, LinkedIn messages and... Um, uh, one of the things I've been doing lately is uh, working with um, entrepreneurs, uh, high growth businesses to help identify problems that uh, and solve them uh, that, you know, happen with high growth. You know, you don't have as much time when you're growing quickly and it could be employment law matters. It could be facilities. It could be compensation. I mean, there's just when you're growing quickly, there's a lot going on. And just being aware of the things that can come up and then kind of strategize. I like to think of myself as a, a thought partner. So I bring my perspective, collaborative, you know, discussion about it. And just try to get these things, you know, identified and come up with a, a plan to deal with them. And I really enjoy doing that. Um, so, you know, if, if someone's interested in that, I'm happy to have coffee with them and see what they're thinking. And if it's a great fit, great. But yeah, you can reach out to me link. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn at any time. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I hope you'll come back in the future. Uh, we can dig into some, some more lessons learned uh, over the course of your career. That'd be my pleasure. 